Hey, what's going on, everybody? This is Adam. Welcome back to Fouled Out. If you were with us last week, uh, previewing the NFC and the AFC North, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. We are in week two of our NFL divisional preview pods. Today, we're going to be tackling my favorite division, the AFC East, where my beloved Patriots play, as well as the NFC East, where a couple teams who have hurt my feelings over the years play with the uh, Giants and Eagles. But we're going to try to be as unbiased as possible and give you guys a good preview of uh, two divisions that should be pretty fun this year. So let's go. All right, we are back. Matt is here to, what is this, the eat? portion of the never eat shredded wheat football breakdown podcast yeah i mean it's my uh favorite word in that phrase so it's it's a hard word to beat uh so we're going to Ah. talk about the afc east first uh matt i got one question for you before we start maddie you ready to talk some boston sports kid God, I'm gonna fucking slap you. It's about to be <laughs> wicked. We we haven't talked we haven't talked Boston sports on the podcast that much, and I yeah, because you do shit like this. <laughs> and we're very appropriately while we talk about the Patriots today. I'm wearing my uh, Boston Red Sox title town T-shirt that I got after the 2018 World Series. Uh, I don't know if people know this, but Boston's won a bunch of championships in recent memory and that's why the title town t-shirt stays on while we talk about boston sports or new england in this case this this is why nobody likes you i'm gonna piss a lot of people off today uh but let's jump into it because it's i swear it's not going to be all about the patriots just mostly afc east uh biggest storyline category one you want to go first or you want me to go I can go. So my biggest storyline is can Tuas be what he was supposed to be when he was drafted, or is he just a guy in the quarterback position? Because he left a lot to be desired when he played last year, and there was a lot of rumblings that inside those locker rooms, they were not happy when he was put in the end of the lineup. And quite frankly, he looked scared every time he was out there on the field. So this is kind of his put up or shut up moment. Yeah, two is interesting because he, not a great rookie season, uh, was coming off of a pretty major hip injury in college. But he's kind of one of those guys where, you know, was he, he was really good in college. Statistically, you know, they won championships with him. But is he actually a good quarterback or is he a product of Alabama? Because when you play quarterback at Alabama, like you have a lot of talent around you, especially in the receiving cores that he had. He played with, uh, what, six, seven NFL receivers in his time at Alabama? Yeah. Yeah, he has played with, I want to say, at least four wide receivers that were drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. And he just got a new one. He got a new toy and Jalen Waddle 
in the latest draft as well. So who he is somewhat familiar with somewhat from another one of those Alabama receivers. I think he leaves a lot to be desired, but I, I think that we get caught up in this. Like you and I always joke about this on the podcast that if you're not good right away, that you're garbage. And I think that we get too caught up in this sometimes where he struggled in his rookie season. And so right. we want him to put up or shut up right away. And he may just need some more time to develop. But the big concerning thing with him that you mentioned is the players in that locker room did not want him to play last season. They loved Ryan Fitzpatrick and they wanted him to play. And that is not a quality that you typically look for in a quarterback. No. And like, to be fair to these players, they were winning games. Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't, and never has been a surgeon as a quarterback, but he was out there winning games for them. And so, yeah, like I get why their stance was let this rookie sit on the bench and be a rookie and let us take our shot this year because vets want to win. They don't care about the future. They want to win. So it kind of like this year, it's a little bit of a different situation because he's going to come into it from the start maybe not as much pressure stepping into that situation, but you know, there last year happened. And I think that puts a certain amount of pressure on him to perform no matter what. The tough thing too, about last year is that they only missed the playoffs by one game. Yeah. And you got to wonder, like if you're one of the vets in that locker room, if we hadn't played this kid as much as we did, do we win more games? Do we get that final playoff spot? Um, so I think that's tough, but it'll be really interesting to see what he does this year in his second year. Um, I think we've seen the last couple of years, a couple of guys who were able to make a second year jump. Uh, but historically sometimes there's also a second year slump. So, uh, it'd be really interesting to see which way he goes and it's going to determine the future of the Miami dolphins. Yeah. And like, it's completely unfair to look at what happened last year and just say, that's what he is, but I'm not super optimistic just because I was not particularly high on him coming out of the draft because I don't think he does anything particularly well. Like, he does everything good, but he doesn't have that calling card to overcome. So it'll be interesting. He's He's got to prove a lot of people, including myself, wrong. Yeah, and not only is that going to decide this season how it goes for the Dolphins, but also going forward, you know, they've accumulated a lot of talent on that roster around him. Uh, and they got the final piece, or what should be the final piece in Jalen Waddle this offseason. So uh, some, definitely something to keep an eye on down there in Miami. So Yeah, and I mean, like, especially given how much talk there was with Miami and Deshaun Watson and – there was already a lot of people that were hoping he would get shipped out of town for someone bigger. It'll be interesting. Yeah. I thought that was the move too, is like, you know, what did they pick six, like two, a six and a future first round pick for Deshaun Watson. Yeah. I thought that made the most sense, but uh, it didn't happen. Bullet there. Yeah, really. 
They really did. Uh, so on to my biggest storyline. And I think that if you know me at all or listen to any of the podcasts that we're recording so far that you know this is coming. Uh, my biggest storyline in the AFC East is the Bill Belichick revenge tour that is coming up this season. After, you know, 20 years of being the model sports franchise and one of the greatest dynasties in the history of sports, the Patriots went seven and nine last season in their first year without Tom Brady. And to make matters worse, we all had to sit by and watch as Tom Brady won a Super Bowl. Uh, don't get me wrong. I was happy for him, but it's hard. It's like you, you're going through a breakup and like, you're, God, my ex is doing so much better than I am right now. What's wrong? And I mean, to make it even worse, one of the narratives that came up while Tom Brady was going through this playoff run and winning the Super Bowl is that Tom Brady was responsible for all of the success, uh, success of the New England Patriots over the past 20 years. It, it's like a completely unfair narrative last season, but it was just kind of known that like whichever one of them went farther, the you know mainstream media was going to be touting that person as, oh, it's, it's all Brady and not Belichick, which isn't true one way or the other, no matter what happens. It's a combination of the two of them that led to that success for so long. But I think if you think that last year did not piss Bill Belichick off, that you are crazy. He'll never admit it. You'll never hear a story about it. But just the fact that they weren't winning, one, is going to piss him off. And then two, he's the greatest coach of all time in any sport. And you don't get to that level by not having this insane drive that's on the level of like a Tom Brady or a Michael Jordan. So he's probably furious coming into this season. And I think it really showed up with how aggressive they were in free agency. I did a Patriots offseason preview podcast before the offseason, and I kind of hemmed and hawed and went, eh, I don't think they're going to spend that much. Their MO is traditionally to wait until like the second wave. Uh, they went out and guaranteed $159.6 million, which is an NFL record for free agency. They were very aggressive in not only improving the offense, but the defensive side of the ball too, uh, and basically did not let a single penny go to waste. So now you have a much better roster than you had last year. You also have a weaker schedule than we faced in a very long time because we're playing a third place schedule this year. And you have a pissed off coach who's ready to go, man. I, I think this is the big thing to watch in the AFC East because I think this Patriots team is geared up for a playoff run. Yeah. I mean, they made a lot of moves, like a lot of moves. We kept thinking they were done and then they weren't <laughs> and they just kept going. Just kept coming and the moves that they made, what the moves they made indicate to me is the type of team they want to be going out and getting two big time tight ends and Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, uh, Johnny, you know, the latter of the two being someone who's more flexible and can move all over the offense. Mm -hmm. If you've been paying attention to Patriots uh, training camp so far, he's been seen in the backfield quite a few times, which is something they used to do with Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez. The last time they had the Boston TE party was Hernandez would line up in the backfield and they would kind of throw crazy stuff out of it like that. I I'm really interested to see what they do. Um, you know, I won't step on it too much because I know you want to talk about it here in the next segment, but they they seem geared up, man. And the signings they made kind of indicate to me that they want to be a strong defensive team who 
goes at kind of a slower pace on offense to put up points. But uh, why don't we go to category two? And I will let you start with your most interesting unit. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, not too much more to say about it. Uh, mine is the Pats offense. With all their new moves, like, it's it's just going to be really interesting to see how they run this offense um, and how effective it really is. But I like the idea of having multiple tight ends that are difficult to cover. And I honestly, I would even say Hunter Henry can be moved around a little bit. Like he's fairly mobile. Um, There's a lot that can be done with formations and putting guys in different roles. There's just a lot of possibilities there. And for someone like Bill Belichick, that that could be something. I would probably like to see a little bit more on the outside. But, I mean, that's never, never been <laughs> Bill's go-to. Andy Moss, like, he's never, never gone after the wide receivers. Yeah, I was going to say, we really only had a great outside receiver uh, one time in the history of the Patriots. Uh, and it was the most prolific offense we've ever seen in the NFL. Uh, so maybe there's something to that, but uh, in the heyday of the Patriots, all the seasons they've won championships, it's a lot of slot guys. They, they do have Aguilar on the outside who I like as like a big play threat, just someone to take the top off the defense and just, uh, yeah, it's like having a good three point shooter out on the court in the NBA, just someone they have to respect and mm-hmm. to let guys like Kendrick Bourne and Jacoby Myers, uh, and, you know, you mentioned Hunter Henry, let those guys go to work underneath. The really interesting thing to watch with this offense this season is going to be they're basically installing two different offenses right now in camp because you have two very, very different quarterbacks. Uh, one offense is like a run heavy, you know, read option RPO kind of thing with Cam Newton. And the other is more of a traditional style offense with Mac Jones. And I think with whatever quarterback you see out on the field this season, you're going to see a very different style and they're going to be very variable at what they can throw at you. And the last thing, the, the run game, it should be really good this year. They Patriots have a top five offensive line with Andrews and on when and Isaiah Wynn, and uh, assuming that some of these guys could take a step forward, you know, Trent Brown is back who was on the team during the Super Bowl run. Uh, Damian Harris is a man among boys. Like he's super fun to watch. We're, we're not going to talk about him much later, but yeah, the, the rushing game should be real nice with some of the guys they have in the backfield as well. So definitely a fun unit. Uh, going on to my most interesting unit. This is something I never thought I would say in my life, but uh, I have the Jets offense. Uh, and to be fair, Matt picked first. So <laughs> that's why he got Patso and I got Jets. But <laughs> I actually am really intrigued to see what the Jets do this year. Uh, this is the last five yard per game rankings for the Jets. So this is how many yards per game they had over the course of the last five seasons. Last, last, bottom five, bottom five, and 26. They've been horrific for years on offense. And a large part of that was the coaching with Adam Gase, who I, I have no idea how this man continues to get jobs because he's been horrible at every stop. 
Uh, and then another part is just the personnel. You know, when my teams are bad, like when the Red Sox are bad, I at least like it when they have good young players I can watch develop. The Jets had nothing last season. They had Sam Darnold, who was a bust from the minute he was drafted. Uh, their leading rusher had just over 600 yards, and it was Frank Gore, who, you know, I love, don't get me wrong, love Frank Gore, but he's very old. You're not like watching him and being like, God, I can't wait to see Frank Gore develop. And then their leading receiver had just over 600 yards and Jamison Crowder as well. Like, not only was it really bad, there was no talent. There was no fun to watch. Well, I mean, who knows how much talent was hidden because of how bad Adam Gase is. I mean, it's fair. We're going to see what Sam Darnold can do in a different offense this year. But really with the Jets, so they, they brought in completely new coaching staff with uh, Robert Salah and then Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator, who, you know, he, he may sound familiar. He's Matt LaFleur's brother, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And he is part of the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. Uh, Kyle Shanahan, the head coach of San Francisco. So he coached with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta when they had one of the best offenses of all time. Also an offense that blew a 28 to three point lead to the new England Patriots in the Super Bowl. but still I had to get it in one of the best offenses of all time down there in Atlanta with Matt Ryan at quarterback. So they bring in this guy who's young, uh, extremely creative by all accounts. He was, he also coached the uh, 49ers offense. He was their passing game coordinator when they went to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. Uh, and Salah, who's like a big culture guy, big hype guy, big culture guy, who I think is going to be really good in New York. And so not only do you bring in, like an OC from a tree that I love. Cause I think Kyle Shanahan is the best offensive mind in football right now, but you also went out and spent your first four draft picks on offensive talent. Uh, you got Zach Wilson, number two, overall, who, you know, we, if you listen to us talk about him on our quarterback preview podcast for the NFL draft, he's a very exciting player to watch. If nothing else, with like the off balance throws and the big arm and, someone who's going to be really good for this, like for the scheme that they're going to be running. So they get him, they get an offensive lineman in Elijah Vera Tucker at 14. And then they spend their second round pick on Elijah Moore, who by all accounts uh, is killing it at Jets camp, the wide receiver from Ole Miss. Uh, And then they spend their fourth pick on Michael Carter, the running back from UNC who, you know, not my favorite running back from UNC because I love Javante Williams, but you know, it's a, it's definitely an infusion of young talent in New York at every position. Uh, and then they spent free agency money going out and signing a low risk, high upside guy in our boy, Corey Davis, who, you know, Western product, he was a top five pick not that long ago. So not only is the scheme going to be a lot of fun to watch. Now you have young, like good young talent all over the offense. Are they going to struggle at points this season with all those rookies? Absolutely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But I, I think that they could actually be really fun to watch, and this could potentially be the infusion they need to get them out of the basement of NFL offenses. Yeah. I mean, if you're a Jets fan this year, mind you, I am very high on Zach Wilson. But 
There are going to be moments this year where he's going to make you want to throw your TV out your fucking window. But he's also going to make you want to do that for completely opposite reasons at certain points in time because he's going to make plays that you can't fucking believe. He's going to man, he's going to make you want to throw your TV back in your window. Yeah, you can't watch you can't watch those awesome plays outside. And then, you know, Michael Carter is kind of like maybe like 90% of what you would be getting with Travis Etienne. That's that's really good to get in the like what was it the fourth round, third, something was, like that. He was a fourth round pick. Fourth yeah. round pick. And I think he's going to be really good. Like he rushed for yeah. over a thousand yards his last two years at North Carolina. Like I, I was just kind of joking about the Javante Williams things, just because I love Javante Williams. Right. Uh, but they they were a one two punch, kind of like a thunder and lightning at North Carolina. And you know, you want to talk about like efficient running? Michael Carter yeah. Williams, or Michael? I want to call him Michael Carter Williams. Michael Carter ran. Hopefully, he has a better career than that guy. Yeah, let's hope so. Uh, Michael Carter ran for 1,245 yards on only 156 carries. That is eight yards per carry in the ACC. Uh, also averaged almost 11 yeah. yards per reception. So, like, he, he's pretty electric, man. And he well, is going to be – he's going to have an opportunity to take over this Jets backfield pretty quickly. Well, and he's a, he's a speed and explosion guy. And if you know anything about the Shanahan offense, you know – it is predominantly an outside zone offense. Those are the guys that absolutely kill it in outside zone. <laughs> yeah, think of like a what Raheem Mostart was able to do. Yeah, for the 49ers a couple of years ago, like how good he was when he broke out. Tevin Coleman, he he was killing it for them for a while too. Coincidentally, Tevin Coleman also part of the Jets now. Yeah, so that's. Not a coincidence at all, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think much to my chagrin, uh, it's, they're going to be fun to watch this season, if nothing else. I, I don't necessarily think they're going to like light it up all season. But I think like if you're going to have a bad team or you're not going to be a playoff team this season, like be young, be fun to watch, and they will be. Oh, we didn't even mention Denzel Mims. Denzel Mims is my favorite football player. Dirty for- Crash City. Yeah, Denzel Mims is my favorite football player for different reasons, but uh, yeah, I mean he should be a solid piece of that offense too. So yeah, they uh, they got plenty to build off of. Yeah, but speaking of favorite football players, let's go to category three. Uh, who is your favorite non-quarterback in the AFC East? If you really, really watched the Bills last year, you noticed that they had two different defenses. They had the defense with Matt Milano, and they had the defense without Matt Milano. <laughs> I prefer the defense without Matt Milano. I'm sure you do. <laughs> but he's just – he does everything so well as a linebacker um, for the Bills. He's really good in coverage. Their defense was just significantly better at stopping the run when we see he was on the field. That team is – so much fun to watch if you are not a fan of a rival team <laughs> when he is on that team on the on the field because they just have everything at that point they have their defense they've got well really all they need is Josh Allen at that point 
They have Josh Allen and they have a defense. And what more can you ask for? They still haven't figured out the run game, but. We didn't talk about the Bills uh, in the big headlines of the season, but I think if we were going to have a third big headline for this division, uh, it would have been, can the Bills win the Super Bowl this year? Or can they be a Super Bowl contender? Because they're very close. They're like, you know, we talked about this with Cleveland last week where they have a lot of the pieces that you need to get it done. Uh, but they just got to take the next step. Like someone's got to dethrone the Chiefs in the AFC before they can, you know, talk about being a Super Bowl contender. And Buffalo is definitely up there uh, as long as Matt Milano is on the field because he is yeah. a huge difference maker. I mean, the reality is you're probably going to end up going up against the Chiefs at some point in the playoffs, and someone's going to have to take on Travis Kelsey, and you can't just get killed on every route he runs. Yeah, I mean, you can. You're just not going to win the football game. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've seen it a lot over the last couple of seasons. I, I don't recommend that route. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good pick. Uh, my favorite non-quarterback, I, I want to talk about someone real quick who uh, does not get the shine and kind of the respect that he deserves. Uh, and that is Patriots safety Devin McCourty, who has been one of my favorite players, uh, you know, and probably honestly my favorite player aside from Tom Brady for 10 years now, he's not like someone that has like super flashy plays or stats. Like you look at his stats, they're not, they're good, but they're like more pedestrian than they are like looking like a superstar. And his highlight tape is not like these crazy plays that you see from some of the other safeties in the league but he's just one of those players who is always in the right place at the right time knows and understands bill Belichick's defense. And he's really the quarterback of the defense. He's just someone that is really well-respected in new England by the coaching staff, by all the other players, uh, consummate professional, like amazing locker room guy and leader uh, also does a lot off the field as far as uh, activism for the black community goes and black lives matter just like really kind of guy that really like makes me proud to be a Patriots fan. I, I don't wear a lot of jerseys. This is someone whose jersey I would buy. Uh, and it shows he has been uh, the defensive captain of the Patriots for 10 years in a row. This year will be 11. Or he's at least one of the defensive captains. I think they have five or six captains or whatever. Someone that I respect to the utmost degree. I love watching him. And uh, someone that you should definitely check out if you're going to watch some Pats games this season. You know, I remember when he was drafted and we were like, oh, that's a really awesome name. I like that. And then it doesn't feel like it's been that long. But yeah, he's kind of getting up there. This is going to be his 12th season, and he has been a captain on the Patriots every year except for his rookie season. He was so good. And just such like a hard worker, his rookie season that they're like, this is a captain. And he was just a captain forever. This and guy right here. <laughs> everybody up there loves him. He is going to be a lifelong Patriot. Uh, and one of the really cool things of the last couple of seasons is that we've got to see him play with his twin brother, Jason. That's, yeah. That's fun too. Who, ba- he's back again this season as well. He shares a Twitter account with, which is amazing. Yeah, so I don't have like some big like statistical profile thing I'm going to throw at you guys like I usually do. Um, th- this is just a character guy 
and just someone that I am super happy to have on my team. Like love them. Absolutely love them. Uh, but what about category four favorite rookie? Well, you already uh, name dropped him a little bit. Pretty much anyone whose team needed a wide receiver in the back, like third of the first round was really pounding the table for their team to draft this guy. And the Jets got him wide receiver, Elijah Moore. He just murdered everyone at Ole Miss with not very good wide receiver uh, quarterback play. And he's going to have a significantly better quarterback in Zach Wilson, even if he is going to make some head-scratching plays. Um, and, you know, you mentioned, like, he's already killing it in camp. And if you were surprised by that, you have not been paying attention. Probably should have been, like, top four or five wide receiver prospect. And probably the best wide receiver class ever. And if you've watched A.J. Brown play for the Titans over the last couple of seasons, you know how good he's been after he came out of Ole Miss. And A.J. Brown claims that Elijah Moore is better than he is. So really could have been a steal here for the uh, for the Jets, which this is too much Jets positivity on this podcast today. Yeah, I, I think he's, he's absolutely going to put up some pretty dirty numbers as a rookie. Maybe not Justin Jefferson numbers, but no, but he should have a pretty, pretty good first couple of years of his career playing alongside Zach Wilson with those two yeah. guys developing together. Uh, so on to my favorite rookie. And if you listen to our NFL draft preview podcast, you guys probably know this is coming, uh, but it is Gregory Rousseau. The, I don't even know what to call him. I'm just going to call him a defensive lineman. Fair. Yeah. For the Buffalo bills. So this is someone that I really liked going into the draft. I my, One of my bold predictions of the draft was that he was going to be the top edge player or top pass rusher in the draft, but not necessarily coming off the edge. He is someone who uh, can move all over the front of a defense, like all over a defensive line. You know, I didn't want him to go somewhere that he was going to be turned into like a pure edge rusher. I wanted him to go somewhere where he could move all over the defense and Buffalo is kind of the perfect place for him with a lot of the other threats that they have there. He can line up on the outside. He can line up inside. You know, he can be off the ball a little bit. He can play on the ball. You know, th- this is a guy who had played one full season of college at Miami and had 19 and a half tackles for a loss and 15 and a half sacks. Uh, he's an extremely raw prospect, but listening to his interviews when he came out in the draft, he was very realistic about what his weaknesses are and addressed in public interviews, how he was going to tackle those weaknesses. So I'm fascinated to see what he looks like in a bills uniform in the NFL. And if he really did tackle all those weaknesses in the off season, uh, cause we haven't seen him in a couple of years, he opted out last year because of COVID. So, you know, it has, he got more explosive. Has he gotten more athletic on the outside? You know, I think, his best position as is kind of an inside rusher. You know, we talked about this before being kind of like a Calais Campbell type of player. Who's like a more of an interior disruptor, but if he's really put the work and time into the things that he said he was going to, 
we may see some pretty sick pass rush moves from him this off uh, this season as well. Yeah, I mean, he definitely has the build to use to his advantage in the NFL. Um, it's kind of one of those ball of clay guys that we talked about. And two years is a long time to improve your game. But it's also kind of hard to imagine him being quite ready to hit the ground running without actually going going up against NFL players in all that time. So I wouldn't expect too much from him in the first like four or five games. <laughs> no, he may he may even take like a full season to come along, but I, I think he's gonna be really interesting to watch. Yeah. But all right, on to category five, the hurricane. What is your bold prediction for the AFC East? I am going to predict that the Pats will have two tight ends with over 700 receiving yards. I like this prediction. That does not happen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean, I can see it. They went out and spent a ton of money on the two of them. Those were like the two first big splash signings. Uh, And I think the type of offense they're going to run this year, they're going to have those two guys on the field in a lot of variable positions a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, like I would take that number higher if it wasn't for like those two guys being on the same team. (laughs) Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, So my bold prediction, I think I'm going to piss off every AFC East fan base here at the same time, including my own. Uh, My prediction Barring injury is that Cam Newton will start all 17 games for the Patriots and lead the Patriots back to the playoffs while scoring 32 plus TDs. The offense that they are setting up, I think, is more suited to Cam Newton than Mac Jones. And I I laid out the case on the Patriots preview podcast that I mentioned about how last season was kind of the perfect storm for Cam Newton to have a bad season. He comes over to the Patriots and is the starting quarterback from day one, but has no off season to learn one of the most complicated offenses in all of football. And then when he finally starts getting up to speed, he gets COVID and goes down for a couple of weeks, uh, comes back. And like, we've, we've heard from a lot of athletes, the results of having COVID and kind of what it does to your body, even after you recover. And then he was also coming off of a major uh, shoulder injury in Carolina, but still scored 22 total touchdowns. Like it's, it's important to note, he still was in the twenties and touchdowns this season. Not only does he have 17 games, but he shouldn't miss any because of COVID knock on wood. Uh, he's had a full off season to learn the Patriots offense and be with these guys. And the offensive talent around him is light years beyond where it was last year. Last year, their best receivers were Jacoby Myers and Demary Bird. This year, he's got Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry and Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne. Like, I like Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers is back. And then he's also going to have, you know, Dam- full season of Damian Harris and James White is back. And Patriots are returning a lot of guys from uh, <clears throat> who had opted out due to COVID last season. So the defense is going to be much better. Uh, they're going to be in better positions to score more points. I think that the team is going to be much better. I've said multiple times on this podcast, I think they're going to be a playoff team this year. And uh, I think Cam Newton 
not Mac Jones is the quarterback who's going to get them there. Although I'm excited for Mac Jones. I don't get me wrong. I think he's the future of the Patriots, but I think this is Cam Newton's season. You packed a lot, a lot into your bully bowl. You tell I had that one like loaded, ready to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. So just to recap Patriots playoff team, Cam Newton, 32 or more touchdowns, total touchdowns, rushing and passing. You also said start all 17 games. Yes. Well, the, the point is more that I don't think that Mac Jones is going to take the job from him because of play. I think if we see Mac Jones start, it's because Cam Newton gets hurt. Uh, okay. So that is it for the AFC East. Matt and I will be right back to tackle the NFC East. All right, we are back and ready to talk NFC East, a division that has hurt my feelings multiple times over the past 20 years. Uh, They're the only division that has any teams who have beaten the Pats in the Super Bowl since the year 2001, and they've done it three times. So So, so you're not a fan of Eli Manning and Nick Foles. I honestly, can I just say something that like now that both Mannings are retired, I actually kind of like them. I think they're really funny, like with everything they do. They're talented guys. Uh, will I watch the Peyton and Eli Monday Night Football telecast this season? Hell no. But, uh, you know, if they're on Saturday Night Live or something like that, I'll tune in. They're they're funny guys. I, and I also I respect the Mannings. So uh, I feel like you'll end up watching it. Yeah, just muted. So NFC East, uh, I'm going to lead off this time with the biggest storyline. Uh, and the biggest storyline for me is, will the Washington football team ever name their team? <laughs> is it ever going to happen? Or are we just going to have Washington football team forever? No, that's that's not really it. But I am sick of calling them the be. Washington. I'm sick of calling them the Washington football South, team. South Park really needs to do another episode on them. That was pretty good. Uh, no, for, but for real, my biggest storyline is that uh, decision time is coming up for the Giants and Danny Dimes. Uh, Daniel Jones, the, the yeah, Daniel Jones, the quarterback for the New York Giants, uh, very famously overdrafted in the 2019 draft when he went six. Uh, it was a shocker at the time. It's kind of it's still kind of puzzling uh, later. But honestly, if you look, I look back at that draft while we were doing research for this, the quarterbacks drafted after him are not even as good as he is. Yeah. Like they made the right call, surprisingly. Yeah. That's kind of, that's how they didn't draft Haskins. That's kind of a bigger shocker than the actual pick itself. Cause at the time the pick was like a huge shocker and looking back at it, it's kind of like, Oh, well, if you really wanted a quarterback, then He's the second best one in that draft, which is well, like you look at back at the time, and like obviously they met with Haskins like a ton, and then like that, like last week or two before the draft, you kept hearing more and more about Daniel Jones, and it was like, oh my god, could this really be a thing? And I, yeah, I didn't buy into it. I was like, there's no way. There's no way they're going to pass on Haskins after all, like, all the dinners they took him to and all this shit. Like, that would be going on, like, 
12 dates with this with some girl and then being like yeah but i'm actually marrying this girl that i just slept with so and that's what they did i i think like looking back at drafts in retrospect is very funny because the other storyline with them drafting daniel jones is like oh my god i can't believe they passed on sam darnold last year to take saquon barkley looking back at that can you believe it now New York media, like Sam Darnold's not even with the Jets anymore, and he Did you was awful. That it was considered as an option. <laughs> it's ah uh, man, it's a tough look looking back at draft coverage from years past. Uh, that is why you will never hear our old draft podcast again because as soon as it's wrong, we're going to delete it. Anyway, uh, back to Daniel Jones. A lot of the fears about him being picked that high have come to fruition. Through 27 career games, he's averaging 221 passing yards per game uh, through 35 touchdowns, but has 22 interceptions and has fumbled the ball 29 times. I think they recovered like six of those or something like that, but he still has over 40 turnovers and 27 career starts. Yeah. Has also been sacked 83 times in 27 games. 83. Uh, and he is 18 and eight in his 26 career starts. He uh, he appeared in a 27th game in relief of Eli Manning. It's not been good, right? It's been bad. And he has two years left on his contract. And it's very quickly becoming time for the Giants to decide, do we stick with this guy? Do we give him an extension? Or do we let him go and do we start over? And to the Giants' credit, they invested a lot of resources in the offense this offseason. You know, and I, I know how you feel about their first round pick being Kadarius Tony, but they still they spent a first round pick on a wide receiver. They signed Kenny Galladay to the biggest contract of any wide receiver in the class in free agency, uh, approximately eighteen million dollars per year. And they also went and signed a former Vikings tight end Cal Rudolph. So, like a huge free agent contract for a wide receiver. And then a first round pick. I mean, I know they traded back, but still a first round pick on a wide receiver in Kadarius Tony, you know, however okay. you feel about him, it's still a first. Good good on them for going out and getting Galladay for him. But the thing that Danny Dimes didn't need was a tiny little zigzag type receiver that's easy to miss. <laughs> Yeah, but it's still it's still a big investment for a franchise to draft a wide receiver yeah. in the first round. My 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 issue wasn't with them spending the pick on a wide receiver. It was the choice of the wide receiver. Yeah, easily could have been Elijah Moore. But yeah, anyway, the receiving core should be good. You know, think about Darius Slayton, Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, uh, Evan Ingram. Kyle Rudolph is still a serviceable tight end, especially in the red zone. And then they have Saquon Barkley back healthy. Yep. You know, should be healthy in the beginning. It looks like he was activated the other day. So we're, we're up in the air on that because he was supposed yeah, they, to miss a couple weeks. They better be careful. Yeah. Yeah. He's franchise running back. But anyway, the offense around him should be good. And so there's really no more excuses for Danny. Like, you know, look back at last season. It's like, okay, yeah, we had injuries at wide receiver. Uh, Saquon Barkley was out almost the whole season. There's no more excuses, and the Giants are going to have to make a decision on him soon. He has fumbled more times than he has played games. And 
you never want your starting quarterback to be someone that when I'm playing fantasy, if I need to pick up a defense, I'm picking up, I'm potentially picking up a defense that is playing against him because I know that he is likely to turn the ball over because I know he has fumbled more times than he has played games. And I know he's thrown a bunch of interceptions and I'm just gambling that one of those ends up being a score. Nothing pisses off NFL coaches more than turnovers, especially someone like Joe judge who came from the Patriots system. If Danny's turning the ball over this season, that his time in New York is going to come to an end soon. So it's up to him, man. Uh, But what about you? What's your biggest storyline for the NFC East? So my biggest storyline for the NFC East is going to stay at that position. And it's going to be, can Dak come back and return to the level of play he was at when he left? Like, yes, that was a very traumatic injury. And yeah, he was a good quarterback before last season, but what he was doing last year was on a whole other level. Like he was putting himself in an MVP conversation. Obviously you don't want to have that conversation that early in the year. It was like him and Russ and no one else was playing at that level. That was it. They were still losing games because their defense was just that God awful. But, like, he was putting up so many points for them. And they just gave him a huge deal. Like, they need him to come back and be that exact guy again. Yeah, that deal starts looking really, really bad if he's not healthy starting week one. Uh, Four years, $160 million extension for Dak Prescott, who, yeah, you're right. Like, before he got hurt, man, he was playing like he was worth it. And that injury was devastating. I I don't like yeah. the I don't like the Cowboys, right? And I was like sad for him because I do like Dak Prescott actually ever since his college days. I just like him like personally. Seems like a cool dude, hard worker. And just the story of like, you know, fourth round pick out of Mississippi State, killing it in the NFL. And he's fun to watch. And that offense is fun to watch, man. There's a lot of talent on that offense. But you're right. If he is not at an MVP level, this is going to be another wasted season for the Cowboys. I hate the Cowboys. And like, I have more reason to hate them than you do. But I don't really hate them. I just think they're kind of annoying. Well, they're annoying. And also like that fucking playoff game, man. Okay, let's scrap let's scrap the rest of the podcast and talk about the Lions and Cowboys playoff game because I know this is eating it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I mean, how badly does do the listeners want to listen to me cry? <laughs> Depends on the listener, I think. But like, I find myself rooting for him because, like, that injury was so devastating, and like, I also think back to uh, when he came out and kind of like shed some light on some of the mental health struggles that he was going through um, after some stuff with his brother. I know like it's hard for me not to root for someone who is, you know, showing that level of vulnerability that is not, you know, out there nearly enough in the NFL. Um, I didn't know it was possible for a team like the Cowboys to have so many players that I like on their team. Like, 
Dak Prescott, uh, CD Lamb. I'm a huge fan of CD Lamb from back when he was in college at Oklahoma. Uh, Leighton Vander Esch is like one of my favorite players to watch. Like so much fun. And then they also have Michael Parsons, who should not be allowed to play in the NFL, and Ezekiel Elliott, who I don't know, probably also should not be allowed to play in the NFL. Certainly shouldn't be allowed to own animals. That, oh man. Um, yeah. and apparently his dad. The whole. Too. The whole oh. family, man. Just don't get me started on the Elliots. Let's go on to category two. Most interesting units. Uh, I will start us off with the Philadelphia Eagles offense. Uh, Philly was 25th in offense last year with uh, about 335 yards per game. That is in the category not good. And they were pretty inept really throughout the year with Carson Wentz. Um but really for a lot of reasons, they had a lot of injuries on offense. The receiving core was decimated. Zach Ertz missed time. Offensive line had a lot of injuries. However, Jalen Hurts, the quarterback out of Oklahoma, uh, started the last four games as a rookie last season, and their yards per game went up uh, to 382, including a really bad game at the end of the season that they had against the Washington Redhawks. The, you know, so on paper, you look at it and think, okay, Jalen Hurts' performance made them comfortable enough to let go of Wentz and trade him over to the Indianapolis Colts. We should have a better offense this year with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. However, this is the big difference between fantasy football and real football is that while Jalen Hurts put up good stats, the underlying stats are not great. Uh, he only completed about 52% of his passes and he threw four interceptions. So it's going to be really interesting to see what they do this year. They have, they're going to have Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback because they did not replace once and they did not draft a quarterback uh, like some had expected them to do. They have uh, Jalen Rager back. Zach Ertz is going to be back. Uh, Dallas Goddard is another season in. Miles Sanders is healthy. And then they drafted Devontae Smith, the wide receiver from Alabama, who I think both you and I think is going to be pretty good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of talent on that offense, but with Jalen hurts at quarterback, you're going to have to be super creative. And the new coaching staff is going to have to look at this and think we cannot run a traditional shotgun offense where he is dropping back and passing, you know, 30 times a game. You're going to lose a lot of games like that. There's going to have to be a lot of RPOs and gadget plays, a lot of read option with Jalen Hurts and those uh, running backs. And they're going to have to get very creative with this offense, but they have the personnel to do it. Uh, Jalen Rager, at T- he was a wide receiver at TCU a couple of years ago. He was like the trick play king at TCU. Uh, also really good in the kick return game. And then, you know, I'm going to talk about Kenneth Gainwell a little bit later, but you have some explosive guys in that backfield and you also have like guys who can pick up the tougher yards in Miles Sanders. So. Yeah. And like, it's really easy to forget that Miles Sanders ran for 5.3 yards per carry last year. He missed a couple games. So his totals don't look as good as they probably could have, but also, you know why they also don't look as good as they could have because Peterson decided that 13 touches a game was enough for his best offensive player. Well, so this is kind of my question too, is they fired Doug Peterson and so, they hired, 
hired so, Nick, I'm going to say this guy's name wrong, but Nick Siramini. Uh, I thought it was Nick Siriani. Siriani, yes, definitely that guy. That's definitely what I said. Uh, <laughs> who was the offensive coordinator for the Colts last year under Frank Reich? Who, if you remember, was the offensive coordinator for Philadelphia when they beat the Patriots at the Super Bowl? They kind of seem like they're trying to get that magic back. Like, I really think if they could redo that offseason, they would fire Doug Peterson and keep Frank Reich because uh, he was obviously the catalyst behind that team being so good. But they're trying to get some of that magic back, and they're going to have to get really creative on offense to put Jalen Hurts in position to be successful this season on an NFL level. Like, I think yeah. he can be a good fantasy quarterback with his rushing ability, but it doesn't translate to winning games in the NFL all the time. You know, they're if they want to win this division and try to chase down the Washington Wild Hogs, uh, they're going to have to be good on offense. So I'm hopeful for Jalen Hurts' future. Um, he just kind of consistently got better and better every year in college. Uh, I think that gets overlooked a lot. But I don't think that playing behind Carson Wentz and under Doug Peterson last year in a COVID offseason was a recipe for success <laughs> for him to hit the ground running. Um, I'm hoping that with a more professional coach and more a full, more full off season, and maybe a coach that just lets the best playmakers get the ball more often that maybe Jalen hurts can have a little bit of a redemption tour this year. Like we don't really know what this offense is going to be because we don't know what it could have been last year, let alone with a different OC head coach. It's definitely interesting, especially with the concept that a mobile quarterback like Jalen Hurts really opens up your running game. Uh, but they're just, it's, it reminds me of like when Tim Tebow was the quarterback for the Broncos. Like they're really going to have to gear this offense to be around him if they want to be successful. So, uh, but let's go on to your most interesting unit, which I believe is the DC Defenders offense. Yep. This is uh, kind of the chalkiest pick here. Washington's defense was dirty last year already. And uh, they went out and added Jamin Davis in the first round of the draft. And I just, I love this guy. Just the way he plays, he just flies around and he thumps. He's super aggressive. It just fits that defense really well in my opinion because that front four is just unfair (laughs) and when you have a linebacker that's going to be that aggressive behind them like oh man you're going to get a lot of negative plays Washington's defense is just going to be nasty this year they have I think five first round picks who rotate in and out of that defensive line including Chase Young, who is one of the front runners for the defensive player of the year. I think it has a chance to be a really nasty Washington Red Wolves team overall. Uh, They're interesting on both sides of the ball, but man, the, I think the defense has a chance to be the best one in the NFL. I think Matt is starting to pick up on what I'm doing with the Washington team. But it's, Oh, it's so funny. I hope there are Washington fans that 
either love this or maybe even better, absolutely hate it. <laughs> I hope you can appreciate the planning that went into this. Uh, so on to category three, because I, I want to talk about the Washington defense more later. M- my favorite non-QB in this division in the NFC East is uh, Washington Generals running back Antonio Gibson. Gibson is a second year running back coming off of a season where he had 1,042 yards and 11 touchdowns on only 206 touches. He was seventh in rushing touchdowns last year and also broke 28 tackles, uh, 20 broken tackles while running the ball and eight while receiving his 20 broken tackles while rushing put him seventh last year. Uh, up there with guys like Nick Chubb, Josh Jacobs, and Alvin Kamara. I think he's so interesting because coming out of college, he didn't really have a position. He played wide receiver at Memphis and like a little bit of running back at Memphis. But coming into the NFL draft, no one was really sure what he was going to be. And what he turned out to be is like a really, really good running back who has fantastic pass catching skills, kind of making him the prototypical running back for where the NFL is at nowadays. When you look at his broken tackle numbers and his touchdown numbers, he is the only guy who is in the top 10 of both of those categories with, you know, around 200 touches, except for Alvin Kamara. So his like efficiency and his tackle breaking skills, he's basically Alvin Kamara 2.0. And he's super fun to watch. Um, You know, if I were the... Washington wood thrushes, I would make sure that he is getting the ball a lot this season. You know, they, they threw the ball to JD McKissick, the second running back on that team a lot last season. I don't need the JD McKissick touches. I need more Antonio Gibson touches because he is at Alvin Kamara levels of efficiency and he has a chance to have a really good season. I mean, you, you still need some J some, some McKissick. Uh, Just some, I don't need all like you can't you can't be giving him the ball 30 times a game cuz he's not going to make it 17 games. <laughs> they have quietly added more offensive weapons than you would think to that team. Um still not armed to the teeth, but like there was a point where not that long ago where it was like they had nothing. And Quietly, they've, you know, brought in an adequate amount of weapons over there. And by far not the least of them is your boy. Yeah. I mean, Gibson is probably my favorite non-Patriots, non-Tom Brady player in the league. I I love him. He was on my fantasy team last year. Uh, Spoiler alert, he's going to be on my fantasy team this year. I don't care what anybody says about that. And I mean, first overall, he, he might, man. He's if I'm drafting at certain spots in our draft this year, you will be surprised at how high Antonio Gibson will go. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like a studs and duds thing up there in Washington. They have absolute superstars in Gibson and Terry McLaurin. Yep. Really the question for how far that drops off pretty quick after that, it drops off quick, but like the other guys on that team are serviceable. Yeah. Uh, I, th- I think the big question this year is going to be the quarterback play between Taylor Heineke and Ryan Fitzpatrick. How far will the Washington Scarlet Oaks go? 
We'll see. What about you? Who is a Heineke believer? I I actually like Fitzpatrick more in that offense. I kind of like the, you know, chuck it and fuck it style, the grip it and rip it, especially with Terry McLaurin going deep. So uh, what about you? Who's your favorite non-QB? I have Saquon Barkley running back for the Giants. Um, it's been a minute since we've seen him play. He had a pretty damn good rookie year. And I think we all can kind of, those of us that have, you know, watched college football back then, he was so much fun to watch in college. And it's not any less fun to watch now. It's just we haven't seen him in a while, and I can't wait to watch it again because mainly because he's not um, in my division. But <laughs> but I feel like there's few things more exciting to watch than those running backs that have everything, but they're also like really good at everything. With Barkley, you know, he's got the home run speed. He's got that stop on a dime, change direction. He's got the power. Like every tool that you could think you'd want a running back to have, he's got it in spades. And that's why, you know, he was drafted over Sam Darnold way back when. And as a running back. I, you're you're not gonna like this analogy, but he is essentially the LeBron James of running backs. He just is a athletic monster who has the size and athleticism at that position that I don't think that we thought we'd ever see. Will he lose six Super Bowls? I don't know, but yeah, I mean, his rookie season he ran for 1,300 yards and had 91 catches for 721 more, so 2,000 total yards. Uh, are you are you familiar with the McGuffey mixtape? I don't think I'm acquainted with that. Uh, just real quickly, because this is super off topic. Sam McGuffey was a running back from Texas. Oh, wait. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about now? Yeah. Yeah, so Sam McGuffey was a running back from Texas who went actually went to U of M. Yeah. Uh, and never really panned out. But there's a very, very famous mixtape you can find on YouTube called the McGuffey mixtape. And it involves him basically like jumping over everyone in the state of Texas while playing football and just like having some of the nastiest runs you've ever seen in your life. Uh, look up Saquon Barley, Saquon Barley, Saquon Barkley highlights. It is essentially the McGuffey mixtape on an NFL level. The things that he does to NFL defenders, he honestly looks like a man playing amongst boys. Like it's kind of like an overused cliche, but the, the, tackle breaking and the juking and the dragging people it is incredible to watch he's so good he's got those big meaty thighs you just love in a running back <laughs> shout out to jordan rayford i hope he hears this uh so on to category four my favorite rookie is and i am so far off the beaten path with this pick uh <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird pick people are gonna be like who uh my favorite rookie is uh, Kenny Gainwell, running back out of Memphis, who was drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles in the fifth round. And I, I will explain why, because like people are like a fifth round running back. What is he? What's wrong with him? <laughs> What's wrong with you? 
<laughs> a lot, a lot, but not this. Uh, so he he's an explosive big play back who like the only knock on him is that he's undersized. Uh, in 2019, he was a redshirt freshman at Memphis and ended up totaling 2,069 yards from scrimmage and 16 touchdowns. Uh, and he's another guy, just like Antonio Gibson, who also went to Memphis. He's a dual threat guy. And if you watch his highlights from college, when he splits out wide to play receiver, they're throwing him like real routes. A lot of times when a running back goes out to play wide receiver, they run these like kind of running back routes. It's like a five yard hitch or like a slant. They're throwing this dude back shoulder fades in college, like real routes that even some good college wide receivers couldn't run. He's running these things to perfection. He was the first player in the NCAA since 1997 to have a hundred yards rushing and 200 yards receiving in the same game. And uh, he's, he's just a beast, man. He was a beast in college and he sat out 2020 because of COVID. And I think that a lot of people kind of questioned the guys who sat out last year. Um, Kenny Gainwell, unfortunately had four family members die of COVID. Um, so it's really hard to blame him for sitting out. But I think that if he hadn't sat out, he would have been drafted a lot higher and there would have been a lot more hype around this guy because the knocks on him are that he's kind of undersized and that he was a one hit wonder in college. Like he only has one year that he played, but the one year he played was amazing from an efficiency level, like 2,069 total yards and 16 touchdowns. Uh, this guy's a beast. And I think that he's going to have a lot of opportunity in this offense because like Miles Sanders you know, we talked about him a little bit earlier. Like he's a good running back, but like, is he great? I mean, is there not room for like another more explosive I mean, guy to come how along? Ma- how, how many running backs are averaging over five yards a carry? <laughs> not a he's, ton, but like, I don't know what more you would have wanted from him last year for you to be like, you know what? Yeah. He's He's actually really good. Well, here's my thing on Miles he was Sanders. the only good thing in that offense. Yeah. Well, here's my thing on Miles Sanders, because I'm not saying that he's a bad running back. I'm, he's someone that's good at everything. But, like, what is he, like, really great at? Like, that was the knock on him coming out of college, is that, like, he is kind of a jack of all trades. He can do everything for you. But he's not You're necessarily You're also kind great. of describing Matt Forte. Yeah, that's true. And I'm not okay. Matt so Forte is a, like a Hall of Fame caliber player. Yeah. Well, just to be clear, though, I'm not saying that Kenny Gainwell is going to take the starting job from him or anything. I'm just saying I think that there's opportunity in that Eagles offense, especially with how creative they're going to get for like a Darren Sproles type of role, or like you know Nick Sirianni's coming over. He was the offensive coordinator of the Colts, who threw the ball to Naeem Hines a billion times last year. There's a role for him in this offense. And he may be explosive at the next level. I think he's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. My, my only critique is that like Miles Sanders is good enough. And like, he's had plenty of explosive plays in his two years in this league. And like an 82 yard touchdown last, just last year. Yeah, no, and it's 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 totally fair. I'm not not saying he's a bad running back at all. I'm just saying that there there's space in this offense for Kenny Gainwell to also have a really good season. I'm I'm just saying like it's unlikely that a secondary running back 
is getting more than five to seven touches a game when there's already a high-level running back on that team. Can I interest you in a beer bet? The Matt and I have a long-standing tradition of when we have sports disagreements to place a beer bet on things. The loser has to buy the winner a beer. Uh, Miles Sanders total yards in 2021. What's the over under total yards receiving and total yards. I will give you receiving and rushing. I think a fair number for that is like 13, 1400, something like that. I will give you 13 and I will take the under. Okay. Shake on it. <laughs> That's for us. Uh, okay, so first official beer bet of the Fouled Out <laughs> podcast, Miles Sanders, 1,300 scrimmage yards. Uh, or 13, Let's go 1,299 and a half scrimmage yards. Because you got to got to have the half because we can't push or else we'd have to buy each other a beer. Uh, <laughs> I, I will go. Oh, oh yeah. I guess there's 17 games this season. It's okay. I'll yeah. take the under. I'll take the under on the 17 game season for Miles Sanders. Who is your favorite rookie in the NFC East? Uh, I have Devontae Smith. That's a good pick. And uh, would have been my pick if you didn't pick first. Yeah, I I got to pick first. So, or more accurately. I was proactive and did my stuff first for once. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you if you guys listen to our draft stuff, you should have a pretty good idea of why I picked Devontae Smith, wide receiver for the Eagles. Um, it's really small, like really small for an NFL player, but he just does everything so well. He runs every route perfectly. Uh, nobody seems to be able to jam him at the line. You can't jam a guy if you can't touch him. Jalen Hurts is going to need someone consistent, and that's what Devontae Smith's going to be. He's going to be that guy who you know, always finds the hole in the zone. He's always where he's supposed to be when he's supposed to be there, and I think pretty quickly early on in the season, you're going to see Jalen Hurts looking his way early and often. And his stats are going to show it. I wouldn't be surprised if he pushes a thousand yards this year. Yeah, I would, I would probably take the over on a thousand yards for him this season. Um, yeah. 17 he, game year. Yeah. He's going to have all the opportunity in the world to get there too. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think, he's one of those guys where like, if he wasn't undersized, he could have been up there with Jamar chase as like one of the better receiving prospects to come out of a draft in a long time. And if that's your only knock on him, I'll take him. You know, he, he's going to be really good at the next level. And, you know, we talked about how the Eagles offense is kind of revamped and he's going to be a huge part of that. So I think that's a good pick. Okay. Category five, the hurricane. My bold prediction is that the Washington DCers are going to make the NFC championship game this season behind the league's best defense. Uh, you brought them up in most interesting units. They're nasty last season. They were top five in defense. 
they should only be nastier with the development of some of those guys and some of the pieces they added. Uh, like I said, I think there's four or five first round picks who play along that defensive line who are only getting better. Uh, and Chase Young, I think is, should be one of the front runners for defensive player of the year. I, I think they have everything they need to have a nasty defense on the level of some of the transcendent ones that we've seen over the past 25 years. Uh, and if they are as good as I think they're going to be, I think that team can make a run at an NFC championship. I don't think they'll make the Super Bowl, but I will take them to win this division and make the NFC championship. Okay. And these are bold predictions. I go bold when I go bold. Um, I do think also, it's like last thing I want to throw in, they almost beat the Buccaneers last season with Taylor Heineke at quarterback in the playoffs yeah. in Washington. So I, I don't think it's that. I don't think this prediction is that outlandish, but I do think it's a bold one. The first half of my prediction isn't going to sound bold. It's going to sound super chalk. Washington will win their division, but they will win their division with at least six wins more than the second place team in that division. That's pretty bold. Would you like me to put a team name on your Washington bet? Go for it. Uh, the Washington Lincolns will. <laughs> oh, come on. The marketing writes itself. All you got to do is partner with the car company. The Washington Lincolns will win the division by six or more games. I feel like you put more prep work into that than you did the actual content. Uh, they got progressively worse over time. I have two more if you would like to hear them before we sign off. Obviously. Uh, the Washington Fighting Georges. <laughs> and I don't think they're getting worse. I think they're getting better. I saved the best one for last. Uh, the Washington Redskin Potatoes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I miss when their subreddit just would turn into posts about potatoes. Yeah, awesome. Uh, for anybody that didn't get what I was doing, I I spent uh, time trying to come up with a new name for the Washington football team to try to help Dan Snyder and those guys make a decision. Uh, what's your What's your favorite name for the team? Like, in all seriousness, I like the Red Hawks. I think it's kind of a cool name, and I think all they got to do is take their current stuff and just put, like, little, you know, bird feathers on it. Be kind of cool. Yeah. Like an Oregon that, style helmet. That one feels most realistic, anyways. I like Red Hawks. My favorite one that I made up is the Washington Fighting Georges. Oh that, yeah, that's the funniest one. Oh yeah, like the Fighting Irish logo, but it's George Washington. Like, I think that's pretty cool. What about you? Favorite name? Yeah, no, I I like Red Hawks as like a serious one. Yeah, I I would go I would go Red Hawks. Fighting George is absolutely the funniest one. Yeah, and I, I, I'm fully in favor of them going that route. I think we need to start a campaign, fouled out campaign to name them the Fighting Georges. It's, it's perfect. I, when I came up with that today, I was like dying laughing in my car on the way home from work. So I had to come home and write it down. But uh, that is all we got for today. Uh, if you are digging what you guys are hearing, please go and give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, the Fouled Out Podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast. I did those out of order. Anywhere that you found, anywhere that you find your podcast, we are there. You can follow us on Twitter at Fouled Out Sports 
or on Instagram, you can see cute pictures of my dog. Uh, and I think that is it. So we will be back next week to do the NFC South and the AFC South. Uh, interesting divisions for sure. Like they all are. It's fun. This is, this is what we did a podcast for is talk about football. As long as we're just not talking about any more Boston shit. Tom Brady's in the NFC South. Uh, no, all right. Not Boston anymore. <laughs> oh man. We had to end with hurting my feelings. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> all right, but I will see you later. Uh, thank you all for listening. Later everyone. Bye, Bye guys. Bye mom.